I had this in my notes last Sunday, and because I closed four times, I didn't get to this point. To this, uh, this, this quote, so Ma- Matthew Henry, I mentioned it and then never read it. Quote from Matthew Henry. We, we preached out of uh, Psalm 127 uh, last Sunday, talked about our heritage, the great heritage, the great heritage that God's given us and uh, our opportunity to sewer that. And I want to say thank you for everybody. I don't know if it was a response to the message last Sunday, but we had the, the greatest turnout this year for our youth on Wednesday night. So thank you for doing that. Amen. But this, this quote from Matthew Henry, let me, let me read it. It says, in a, in, in considering Psalm 127, that, that uh, the children of our youth are, are like arrows, busted as a man who have his, his, has his quiver full of them. Children of the youth are arrows. And this is Matthew Henry out of his commentary on this 127th Psalm. He said, children of the youth are arrows in the hand, which with prudence may be directed aright to the mark, God's glory and the service of their generation. But afterwards, when they have gone abroad into the world, there are arrows out of the hand, and it is too late to bend them then. But these arrows in the hand too often prove arrows in the heart, a constant grief to their godly parents, whose gray hairs they bring with sorrow to the grave. So the point of that is we have an opportunity. We've got to capitalize on that opportunity that, that window that we have to influence our children is short, and if we miss it, there are consequences. And so just, uh, I, I don't want that to be heavy to anybody, but it, it, encouragement to those who of us are parents to take advantage of the opportunities that are afforded to us to steward our kids and to help raise them and to, to become godly uh, young men and women, okay? And having said that, I, I mentioned uh, last Sunday that we're, we're looking towards uh, June, it's actually July, we're going to have a youth camp in July, and uh, so we're getting all those things finalized, we have been working on this since January, it's been hard to find the space at a campground and getting everything coordinated, it's hard to communicate with those folks because they're usually out of office in the winter, they keep up summer hours, and so the communication has been very slow, we've been really diligent in pursuing them, but we are about to finalize every detail of that soon, and uh, we'll get that publicized and out to you guys. What, my, my point here that I want to make this morning is I, I talked about us as a church, 100% participation in raising the next generation, that all of us, no matter where we are, what stage in life we are, making some kind of contribution. Uh, volunteer for our kids' program. Volunteer for VBS. Volunteer for the, for the youth service. Kenny, who's sitting here on, on the front row, he, he comes in every Wednesday night, does security. He just makes sure that our kids are safe, makes sure there's uh, nobody sneaking up on the building, anything like that. He just keeps an eye out on things. No, nobody's getting in and out that shouldn't be, etc. So he, he's making a contribution, amen? Uh, and we can all do something like that. There's many capacities. Uh, you know, see Angie Dennis if you're interested in serving in our kids' ministry. See Aileen if you're interested in volunteering for VBS. Uh, see Pastor Nick Brown. Where is Pastor Nick, right here, the guy that opened our service up this morning. Uh, get with these people and volunteer to serve in some capacity. And for our youth camp, we're going to need a team. We're going to need security. We're going to need a kitchen team, worship team, uh, all, uh, activities, all, all kinds of things that we're going to need volunteers. We're going to need nurses on site, etc., etc. And so uh, we're, we're building up for this. You're going to start hearing about this. You're going to start seeing a lot of fundraisers. Uh, Nick and Elizabeth are planning fundraisers for, for uh, summer camp, 
And so you're going to be hearing about that more and more. But I want to encourage you, get involved with that. Help them out. And uh, let, let's serve the next generation. Amen? And give them an opportunity. Again, how many of you had an opportunity to go to youth camp and your life was deeply impacted by that? Amen? It, it is a, a great thing in the life of a young person to be able to have those encounters. To worship Jesus with young people and uh, to encounter God in, in, that, in that way. So I encourage you to, to be a part of that. So, all right, I'm going to do something different. We're, we're doing something different today in our service. Uh, since, I guess, uh, early 2020, we've not passed offering plates. And we're going we're gonna to do that today. Where am I going? I'm going to Proverbs. So I, I want to I read a, and I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to be a little pastoral here today. And... Uh, So I, I, I want to take a minute. I'm going to take longer than normal. I want to take a minute. I want to, I want to teach a little bit about giving and about tithe and offering. Uh, and, and, and you're going to hear bits of this probably every Sunday, small bits. I'm going to build on what I'm about to teach you today. Uh, there, there's an idea that tithing is no longer relevant, that it's no longer for the church. And somebody asked me, Pastor, do you believe in tithing with every fiber of my being. I believe in tithing. You know why? Because of the endorsement of the word of God and not popular opinion. What's well, not in the old, it's, it's an Old Testament concept, not a New Testament concept. Wrong. Jesus himself says we should tithe. The New Testament scriptures actually teach on tithing. Do you know that Hebrews teaches on tithing? It's, it's not in the New Testament. It is in the New Testament. So here, here's the great overarching concept that I want to frame this, this discussion in. We're going to, I'll, I'll be, and here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into scriptures, and I want you to examine these things for yourself. And I want you to build your own conviction. Not because Pastor Chad said you have to do it, or get in the Word of God for yourself. And I'm going to be giving you in the, in the months to come the scriptures for you to go and search and study for yourself. So there's this idea that Jesus has fulfilled the law, and so we just dismiss the law. Let me ask you this. Is it wrong to murder? Is it wrong to take God's name in vain? Is it wrong to covet? Is it sinful? You think about these things. We, we take the things that God has commanded, instructed. We take commandments of Scripture, principles, and precepts of Scripture, and we disregard them under the guise that the law has been done away with. See, the law has not been done away with. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Here is sound Christian doctrine. Do you know what we no longer practice in the law? The ceremonial ordinances of the law. Sacrificial systems. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled that. We don't have to offer the, 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 the blood of bulls and goats, all those types of things. The Levitical priesthood no longer in effect. The moral code is still relevant. They taught that in the Bible college where I went, a Pentecostal Bible college. They taught these concepts. They teach this. Go to Southern Seminary. They're teaching this. The moral code of God's law is still in effect. It has not been done away with. That's why we still teach the Ten Commandments. And that's just a segment of the moral code. It's because they're still in effect. They are. Jesus did fulfill them. He kept every single one of them. And Jesus actually himself warns 
that, 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 that we should worry about, we should be fearful as teachers of God's word of teaching people to disregard the commands of God. I won't do that as a pastor. I think we need to continue to tithe. I, I want to read, and this is really not a tithing passage, but I just want to read this passage, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, or verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I just want to say this, put God first. It makes sense. Tithing is putting God first in our finances. We are taking the first tenth that we receive, and we're giving it to God. And it is not a legalistic thing. It is, to me, it's a thing of relationship. It is an issue of covenant. It's a sign that I have a covenant with God who is the Lord over my finances. That's what my tithe says. Jesus is Lord to me. That's what it says. He is the Lord over my finances. It says, I trust God more than I trust mammon. Pastor taught me this a long time ago. One of the covering pastors of our church, when I, I was wrestling with this idea about tithing, and, and he said, the people, he told me this, he said, the people that you hear that deny this principle of tithing, you, you'll see this, and, and I have. I've watched this. It's been at least 12 years since that, that he, he said this to me. But the people who have an issue with tithing usually just have an issue with giving altogether. That's the reality. So I, I want us to look into our hearts and consider this. Where are we in relationship with our finances and God? Think about that. We should be tithing. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. I've studied the scriptures, and I believe that with everything within me, that the scriptures teach us we should continue to tithe. We, we have an attitude, and the overarching attitude in, in, in American Christian culture, that the things God says was an abomination aren't an abomination anymore. The things that God used to say in the Old Testament don't apply to us anymore. What scripture, I'll ask you this, and I'm going to wrap up with this. What scriptures did the New Testament church study? What, what were the theologies? What were the ideologies that were taught in the New Testament church? It was the theology and the ideologies that come from the Old Testament scriptures. Think about that. God's ways have not changed. God's mind has not changed. If it grieved God then, it grieves God now. If it pleased God then, it pleases God now. I hope that's helpful to us. I hope that gives understanding insight. I'm gonna get up here. I'm not gonna take as long. I don't know how long I took today, but I'm gonna just drop scriptures. Every, every Sunday, we're gonna look at a scripture and we're gonna look at what God's word says about giving. Is that not it? And listen, my job as a pastor is not to twist your arm and make you give. It's not to condemn you and make you feel bad about not giving so you will give. You know what my job is? To teach the principles and precepts of the word of God. If you are mad about giving, don't put your offering in the plate today. Right? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We cheerfully, I, I cheerfully give. I don't even, I don't even write a check or, or put, it, put it in the box. It, it is direct withdrawn out of our account. We set it up months back. So that it directly comes before we ever see it. 
I get paid on Friday, and on the, that weekend, it's taken out of our account. Set it up months back. Makes, makes it simple. We don't miss the tithe ever because it's automatically taken out. I would encourage you to do that. Try it. See if it does. You know what that does? It, brings, it does? it brings joy and satisfaction. Giving to God gives joy and satisfaction to my life. It is a joy and not a pleasure. It's not a hard thing to keep the commands of God. It is joyous and not grievous. So I'll just leave you with that. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So I'm going to ask the gentleman to come forward. And uh, we're going to go through and pass plates today. I encourage everybody to give and to give generously. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to give today. Lord, you are a God of great provision, and we are grateful. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us, all that you have provided for us, more importantly, all that you are to us, Lord God. Father, right now, we bring our tithe and offering. It's a sign of the covenant that we have with you. We give this, Lord God, freely and gladly, Lord God. We bring our offerings, our alms, the above and the beyond, Lord God, and we give that as well, Father. Lord, bless our homes, our finances. Bless this house, Lord God. Lord, I pray that above all that you would make us fruitful. Make us fruitful in our families. Make us fruitful as the family of God, this local assembly. We thank you for it and we give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. get back into the book of Philippians. We took a break last week as we looked into Psalm 127, but we're going to get back going through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Today's message, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. It's actually the header here in this section in my Bible. We're going to begin to read in verse 12 today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Everybody there? Everybody there? My wife says I don't give you all enough time to get there, so I want to make sure you're all there. All right. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writing, he says, I, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Right? We looked at this a while back. When he says these things that have happened to me, he's talking about being beaten. He's talking about being in prison. Right? All of the things. Shipwrecked. All of the things that had happened to him. I don't know the exact context. I believe this was written about 10 to 12 years after the founding of the church of Philippi, Acts 19. So it's somewhere later on in the book of Acts, but I would imagine that Paul has been through the majority of 
the beatings and the attempts on his life, the shipwreck, all the things that he's endured. He's probably been on at least one of the three trials that we, we read about in the book of Acts. He, he went before government officials on trial. Uh, the charges of sedition and disruption, the public uh, disorder, etc., that, that, he, he, that were brought against him. Paul endured hardships, many of them. How many of you have ever been beaten for preaching the gospel? I mean, Paul, Paul experienced things that none of us have ever experienced. How many of you have ever been jail, done jail time? Anybody ever done jail time for preaching? A couple of you? I heard a story one time. A guy called a uh, pastor from jail and he said, he said, Brother, I need you to come bail me out. He said, well, You're in jail? What are you in jail for? for? He said, For preaching the gospel. It's persecution. No, he said, It's persecution. Persecution. He showed up. He said, they arrested me for singing Amazing Grace. The pastor showed up, and he was actually drunk and half-naked in the streets singing Amazing Grace when they arrested him. So that's, that doesn't count. I mean, how many of you have really been put in jail for the real deal preaching? Not, <laughs> not because you broke the law. But he says, these, these things have happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, think about that, the whole palace guard, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains. So he's been put in jail and he started a jail ministry. And the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged because of his confidence, because of his determination, because of his perseverance in the gospel, right? It's pretty awesome stuff here. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Paul, Paul is saying here that there are people out there preaching the gospel so that his time in jail would be harder. So that it would be more likely that he's going to get a sentence or be put to death. There are, pre, there, there are men out there preaching the gospel with that motive to add to his affliction. Think about that. What, what are our motives? Why are we doing what we do for the Lord? You know, sometimes we do things for the Lord with a right motive, and sometimes we do things for the Lord with a wrong motive. Think about it. But these guys definitely have the wrong motive, right? They're, they're wanting to add affliction to his chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, how many of you have seen in the news um, Supreme Court cases that have biblical consequences, right? This cake maker that was, they, they tried to force them to make a cake, and they said, That's, that goes against what I believe, according to the word, I won't make that cake. That went all the way up to the Supreme Court. 
that had consequences that, that would affect the church, right? All who would live godly would be affected by the outcome of that. See, there are, there are some cases that have those kinds of consequences. That's the way that Paul viewed the trials that he went through. We read about these trials, Acts 24, 25, and 26. We read about these different trials that the Apostle Paul goes through, and he viewed not that he was on defense, but that he was making a stand, and the gospel of Jesus Christ was on defense. That's the way that, that Paul uh, viewed these things. He said, I've, I've set myself for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, with good motives or bad motives, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Even their bad motives, Paul said, I'm going to keep rejoicing. Not only am I rejoicing today, I'll keep rejoicing tomorrow. They keep doing these things to add affliction to my chains. I'm going to continue to rejoice anyway. That was the mindset of the Apostle Paul. That was the determination of the Apostle Paul. Paul was set for the propagation and the defense of the gospel. He was a man determined to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ at any cost. He proved this well. I mean, he was willing to endure shipwreck, jail time, being beaten, being scourged. Paul was determined to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes across, I think, in Romans, if you put that up, Romans chapter uh, 5, verse, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Verse 3, here it is. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Paul's determination to get the gospel out was so, and, and put, put verse 3 back up there for me. It, it was so strong that he says, I, I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh. In other words, he said, I, I, I would suffer the wrath of God if my brothers could experience the grace of God, if they would receive this gospel, if they would receive this message about Christ. Paul demonstrating here extreme humility. The Apostle Paul knew that, that, that he was a wretched man that was not worthy of the grace of God. He talks about it over and over again, how that he persecuted the, the church to death, to the point of death. He was a murderer of all those who were in the way, all the Christ followers. He was a murderer of those 
who declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God, in his grace, arrested him on that Damascus road, and he had that encounter with Jesus. His eyes were opened to see the truth of who Jesus Christ was, and he becomes the great apostle of the, Jesus, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has this determination because he realizes the grace of God that he had received, what he had been forgiven of, and that he wasn't even worthy of that grace of God. And so he, he had this determination to stand and to declare the truth. You know that Acts, in Acts chapter 23, I think it's verses 12 and 13, if I'm not mistaken, there, there's actually a posse that takes an oath, and they say, you know what, we're, we're going to go after the apostle Paul. We're going to kill him. They swear to each other. They, they go under oath. There are more than 40 of these men, and they, they set to kill the apostle Paul. He's under the uh, house arrest. He's under the governorship at this point of uh, Claudius uh, Lysias. And the word gets to Paul. Paul sends his nephew. nephew. His nephew goes to Lysias. And Lysias is going to transfer him to the governorship of of Felix. And in in this transference, in in verse 23, Acts 23, verse 23, he sends 200 uh, soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to guard the apostle Paul because he knows that Paul's life is under threat. None of us have ever been so faithful to the gospel that 40 men have sworn to kill us and we had to have a guard of 470 men to protect our lives. That was the danger that the apostle Paul was in. This was a serious, credible threat to the point where the, the Roman leadership appointed th- this, this century to escort Paul in this transfer. You think about that. None of us have ever been in this kind of contention. And yet the apostle Paul sets himself. He is determined that he's going to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if, if, you, if, you, if you follow this through, you know what the end result is? At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is freely declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. God rewards his bold determination. He's still under house arrest, but people are coming and going, and he is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about that. That's the commitment of this man, the apostle Paul, to declare the good news about Jesus. Church, I want to say this, that our gospel ministry, if we have a sincere gospel ministry, we will experience persecution. We will come into conflict. The message of the cross is at odds with the culture of this world. It calls those that are in this world the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual war that we're in. There's a conflict revolving around this thing. Souls are at stake, and we have an adversary who's going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I believe that we're in this season and that we see in Romans, I'm sorry, in Revelation, where it says that he's come down with great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. Satan is doing everything that he can to destroy the work of God. There's a conflict, and when we stand boldly to declare the truth of God's word, the scriptures, there is going to be conflict. 
I think I, I made a statement a minute ago about the, uh, about the, uh, uh, the tithe. The enemy hates that. To stand for truth, to stand with scripture, to stand with what God says and not what popular opinion says, what, what's easy and what co- is, is culturally acceptable, to stand where God and his word stands, it's not popular. And I've made stands like that and many other topics and I've, it's been met with opposition. People come against you when you stand with the truth of scripture. I'm talking about people sitting on the pews that would call themselves the people of God, standing in opposition to the word of truth. Whenever we stand with God and his word, there will be opposition. When we declare truth, when we declare what we are commanded to declare, which is the full counsel of God, not the bits and pieces that we like, not the bumper sticker scriptures, but all of it, the full counsel of God, we are going to experience opposition. We will be persecuted. We will be hated, even by church folks, when we declare scriptures. You have to realize, who were the men that swore out to kill Paul? They were the most zealous religious leaders of the day. They hated the message of Paul's gospel. You think about that. And they, they swore to kill him. So if we have a gospel message that is true to scriptures and not by the popular cultural whims, we will experience Not slight opposition, but extreme opposition. So our gospel ministry must persevere in conflict. The mark of a great ministry is perseverance. Standing when the winds are blowing against you, when the streams are going against you, standing with the scripture, standing with Jesus, Standing for the kingdom of God, regardless of what's going on around you. Boldly standing to be the people of God. Right? The, 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 and I, I'm forgetting, it's, it's one of the New Testament epistles, and I'm forgetting exactly where it is, but, but it, it talks about how we should be a contrast to the world that is around us, standing out, shining brightly as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Amen? We are called, church, to be a contrast. Here's here's the newsflash. Trying to look like the world to reach the world does not work. It will fill stadiums. But that is not what fills heaven. Compromising to communicate the gospel fills hell. And that's a reality. We deceive men and send them to eternal damnation when we fail to stand with the truth of Scripture. We must stand with the Word of God regardless of what is popular and what's going on in our culture. We need to understand that. Your your ministry is going to be, if if you have a gospel ministry, a biblical-based ministry, you will be met with disdain. Not only from the world, from religious folks. I'll name anyone, what is religious? When we talk about religious and not liking your religion. By the way, not all religion's bad. There is a pure religion according to James 120, what is that, 129 I think it is? Pure religion undefiled to to visit the, the widows, the orphans, right? And to keep yourself unspotted from the world. 
to keep yourself unspotted from the world, right? We are to keep ourselves unspotted. We are to be a light. There's a contrast in our lives. There's a boldness. We stand out. We are different. We're not going the way of the world. We're not bending to, to the cultural whims. We're standing with the eternal truth of God's word. And when we do that, we will be met with disdain. So our gospel ministry must persevere in the midst of that disdain, in the midst of conflict. The disdain of this world must be met with a determination. Think about this. When we read about it in this passage that we read today, Paul was, was, was uh, chained uh, to this, this guard, as we would say, a Praetorian guard, and he was strapped to this man, under house arrest, strapped to a Praetorian guard. That's the way we see it, but I want to tell you the way the Apostle Paul saw it. That guard was strapped to him. <laughs> I've got a captive audience. Some of y'all feel like a captive audience right now. How do I sneak out the back? <laughs> Paul had a captive audience. The man was strapped to him and had to listen to the gospel day in and day out. It says in the passage that the entire Praetorian guard understood that his chains were in Christ. He was bound, but the gospel was not. You see, the gospel will always find a way out. The gospel will always be propagated. God's desire is that the message of his gospel will go forth and it will never be stopped. No matter how culturally, we call it relevant, but really it's irrelevant. You know what the the word relevant means? It means the ability to meet the need at hand. When we try to be cool, hip, and trendy, we become ineffective when we plug into God, when we get the word of God deep down in our spirits and we refuse to compromise it, we become the most relevant people on planet Earth. Not because we've got cool hairdos or skinny jeans or tattoos or designer glasses or whatever it is, the latest light show and the latest fad and the biggest concert. That is worthless in the sight of God when we compromise the truth of God's scripture. It's worthless. It really is. Let me, let me encourage you. If you have a gospel ministry, discouragement will come. I've been preaching the gospel, let's see, 25 years this year. It's the worst experience of my life and the best experience of my life, all wrapped up into one. That's the reality. I'm gonna tell you what, if you do what God calls you to do, you're gonna be met with a lot of hardship Lots of challenges, lots of disdain, lots of attacks, lots of opposition, lots of challenges. I could have avoided a lot of hardship in life. How? Get out of the ministry and go back to work. That's a reality. Ministry is not easy. And having said that, it's the greatest thing that I have ever done in my entire life. I've been met, all, in all of those trials and all those circumstances, I've been met with the presence of God. 
I've been met with the goodness of God. I've been met with the grace of God that sustains. In the midst of those times when you think you're about to break and the, the, the joy of the Lord shows up in your heart and the strength of God and God sends that, that, that sweet sister or a brother to encourage you and come alongside you, always at the right moment. I've had sunsets where God says, that's for you, my dear brother. We've had encounters, I, I can tell you, encounter after encounter after encounter, and when we, we experience these, these things and we're in awe of what God has done and how God has provided and what God has shown us and what God has done for us, and we stand back and we see these great things of provision and, and, and encouragement and, and God's thanksgiving to us, I believe God does that. We've seen these demonstrations, great demonstrations, and when, when we come to the end of this thing, we're just standing back in awe of like, wow, and God says, this is for you. Well done, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. I could give you experience after experience of things that are once-in-a-lifetime experiences that God has made happen for us. We couldn't have done it financially for ourselves, but God did it. I believe the Apostle Paul experienced this type of life. Hardships, what, what caused him to, to endure? the faithfulness of God, the grace of God. Remember he asked, Lord, take this, this, this thorn from my side. We don't know what that is. There's all kinds of theological ideas of what that thorn was, but we know the response of God to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. God provided sufficient grace for the apostle Paul in every trial, in every tribulation. God was there for, God sustained him. So discouragement, despair, these things in our lives, they must be met with determination. Christian, we, we have to make a determination that we're going to serve the Lord. We're, we're, we're not going to bow. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to sit back and be quiet. We're going to be bold. I, I've lost, how many of you have ever lost a job? I have lost a job for Jesus. Well, they said we can't preach at work. They said we can't uh, preach in school. We can't pray. We can't take our Bibles. Who says? They'll back us into a corner as long as we back up. Half of the reason that half of the junk that goes on in America today is because we as Christians permit it. It's a reality. Half of what's going on in our school district is because we've got wimpy Christians. Half of what goes on in the workplace is because we are cowards and not bold. We're afraid to go to jail. We're afraid of threats. We're afraid of this. We're afraid of losing our job. We're afraid, uh, whatever. We live in fear instead of faith. I better move on. I'm probably meddling right now. I want to wrap up with this thought. We preach Christ. This is my first closing today. <laughs> I had four last Sunday, so don't get excited. <laughs> we, we preach Christ. Our message is Jesus. The message that we have to communicate is the message of Jesus Christ, period. We preach Christ. Paul's response to all of these things, come, good motives and bad motives. And by, let, let, Okay, so let me go back. So that'll be my next, that's my closing for a minute. Let, let, me, let me cover this. Let, let, me, let me say something. We, we talked about motives a little bit at the beginning of this. Let, let's look in Philippians again. This is not on the screen. I just want to go there. I didn't get this to the media team. This is in my spirit. Look at, look at chapter 2. So Paul says some of these 
People are preaching with the wrong motives. Some people are preaching with the right motives. Nevertheless, Christ is preached. Is that a license for us to continue to doing things with bad motives? Absolutely not. He's actually using it as an example. We have to remember this is a church that is divided, and it's divided over the motives of individuals in the church, right? Paul's actually using that as an example to this church, and look, look how he, he dovetails this in. Going on down to, to chapter two, he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any, any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Again, division in the church. And, and, and I'll say this, anytime it's not centered in Christ, there's gonna be division. The only thing that unites us in this building is Jesus, Amen. period. That's why I don't like these, these conversations. Are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? Are you this or that? Are you a Baptist or a Pentecost? Are, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. If it's in the scripture, I believe that, right? If Jesus said it, I believe it, right? I, I'll tell you the truth. What John Calvin said doesn't matter an iota. What D.L. Moody said doesn't matter an inch. What Graham says, Billy Graham says, does not matter. We are men. I don't preach John Calvin. I don't preach Billy Graham. I don't preach D.L. Moody. I don't preach Presbyterian doctrine or Pentecostal. We preach Christ. Amen. That's the message of the church, the message of Jesus Christ. When it's not based in Jesus, it ends in division. Arminianism and Calvinism, it divides the church. The doctrine of Christ unites us. If we, and we are, that, that's why God gave us leadership in the church. Ephesians 4, he gave us leadership in the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we come to the, the likeness and stature of Christ, until we come to the truth. You see, you thought in your little Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever church you grew up in, y'all had all the truth. Let me tell you this, your denominational handbook was missing a ton of doctrinal truth. And your denominational handbook had some things wrong. But this holds all the truth. This is inerrant. This is infallible. This is the source of all truth. The word of God. Amen? Not a denomination, not an ism, but the holy scriptures of God. That's the source of truth. I'm not the source of truth. You're not the source of truth. You don't have the, the corner on the market of truth. I don't have the corner on the market. That denomination doesn't have, that seminary doesn't have a corner on the market of truth. This is the sum of all truth right here. The word of God and the word of God alone. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, I didn't even finish reading there. I got excited. Philippians chapter 2, now I need to get to verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests. I'm dying to do a series on self. 
and how self is ripping the church apart. I'm dying to do it. Waiting for the Lord to release me to do it. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Right? So there, there's no endorsement in Paul when he says, you know what, some preach with bad motives, some preach with good motives, nevertheless, Christ is preached. There, there is no endorsement for us to keep doing things with the wrong motive. If people are doing things in, with the wrong motive, we need to confront it. We need to deal with it. Paul is actually, through this letter, confronting those motives that are dividing the Philippian church. He does it with grace. He does it with precision. Like a, like a, a skilled surgeon, he goes in and cuts out the, the, the cancer and, and leaves. The, he, there, there's great, Pastor Bill hit on this. There's great encouragement that comes through this letter. He, he, he like goes in and, and, and steals out the cancer all the while encouraging. He's not beating them up. He's not condemning them. He's encouraging them as he does it. Amen? All right, so let's, let's get to my, my conclusion here. We preach Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Nevertheless, Christ is preached. Philippians 1, I think it's verse, uh, what is that, 18. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Our message is not ourselves. If my message is to stand up here and say, look at me, that's the wrong message. We preach Christ. We preach his commands, his principles, his precepts, his doctrine, his teaching. That's the message. And you know what we have done, in, especially in the American culture, probably like no other culture, we have preached men. We have made idols out of mere men. There was only one, if, 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 I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there was only one who was without sin. There was only one who was deity in flesh, and it was Christ. We have created a cult of personality in the American church culture. It's the celebrity entertainment center. Come and let us entertain you. We've got the latest, greatest, big name coming to speak at our church, and the masses thronged to that. I, I've got a friend who pastors in, in, a, in a large city, and there are many mega churches in this city, and he said that people, they, they come, they, they it, it, like, like a herd of gazelles. Where's the, the next greatest speaker? That's, that's the church on Sunday morning that'll be the biggest church. Celebrity and personality. Let me, let me encourage you this. Make heroes out of men that you know and you admire. If you, if you need a hero, there's one sitting right here on the front row. And Bill Hudson. Man, he's one of my heroes. I gladly receive, when Pastor Bill preaches, I gladly, gladly receive. You, you want to know why? Because I know the man's life. Is he imperfect? Sure. But he's got this, this incredible walk with Jesus. He's got an incredible humility. I count him among heroes. David Cook, Van Gill. 
I could go through lists of men. These men are men that I have received from. You know what I don't make a habit of doing? The TV ministries and the YouTube ministries. I am very careful about what I receive from those guys. You wanna know why? Because I don't know their lives. Same, same can be said about the worship genres, the worship leaders out there. We make heroes of these folks. We've exalted them. We, we've gotta be like this, we've gotta, no. We don't preach that. We're not preaching people, we're not preaching movements, we're not preaching isms, we're preaching Jesus. Jesus has to be the center. Jesus has to be the focus. Jesus has to be at the core of it. We're following Christ. I want to, one more passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's under this heading of we preach Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. Look at what Paul says here. Very, very simple little verse. He says, imitate me. It's New King James. King James says, follow me, but imitate me. And that's actually probably the, the best we can do translating from, from the Greek to the English. Imitate me. Just as I also imitate Christ. Let me, let me say it this way. When you see a leader following Christ, imitate them. But as, as soon as they stop following Christ, stop following them. Stop imitating them. Does that make sense? A lot of preachers take that verse and they just stop at the first phrase of it. Imitate me. Imitate me. I'm safe to follow as long as I'm following Jesus. And that's the end of it. When I stop following Christ, I'm no longer safe. It's a reality. I want to encourage you, get, get in relationship with great men and women of God and let them impart into you, but stop following all these superheroes. May the superhero in the kingdom of God come to an end in American church culture. You know what we need? We need fathers. Spiritual fathers. That's who I want to receive from. Men who are fathers. You know why I, I, I will receive from David Cook? Because I have watched the man stand for 60 years and faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus. I've sat in the coffee shop and that man has shared some of his greatest struggles in life with me. Battles of how he's had to pray to fight through temptations and circumstances in his life. His weakness. But David Cook, for 60 years, I, I, I've been with a man, is he imperfect? I, I can say yes, I know that. You spend five minutes with anybody, you find out they're imperfect. But there's not a mark on his life. I don't know that about some TV hero, some latest greatest superstar. We've got to be careful who we're allowing to influence our lives. I want to know people. As a leader, the Bible says that one of my jobs as the shepherd, under shepherd, under Christ, over his church, one of my responsibilities is to know who's working in this church, to know them intimately, 
that I'm not to lay hands on anybody suddenly. I shouldn't put people in ministry that are new to us, that we're not familiar with, and that are novices. That's a responsibility that I have as a leader. Well, in, you, you flip that as followers, and we should all be followers. Do you know that? If you're, not, if, if you're not a follower, you're not a good leader. The harshest, cruelest, and most unkind leaders that I've ever been around, they themselves are not submitted to anyone. They're not followers. The call to leadership in God's kingdom is the call to follow. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The call to serve in God's kingdom always begins with the call to follow. The call of the kingdom is to follow and to submit. That's not about domination. That's not about control. That's about me realizing I need spiritual covering. And without that, I'm unclean. That's the, that's the principle, the concept. Without spiritual covering, we, we walk unclean. That's the whole point of the book of Leviticus. Do you know that? If it's uncovered, here's the theme of the book of Leviticus. If it's uncovered, it's unclean. If our lives are not submitted one to another, as the New Testament instructs us, submitted to the governance of the church, then we are unclean. Following builds my life. If I'm going to lead effectively, I've got to follow effectively. I've been trying to do everything that I can to imitate David Cook and Van Gill. I can go through a whole list of men that have been mentors and friends to me that I am following. Their, I've learned so much of what their, their walk and their relationship with Jesus. I, I, I will close with this. One of the greatest pieces, and I asked a musician to come up, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've ever got from my pastor is named Steve Fender, my uncle and my pastor growing up. He said this, he said, you're gonna see me do a lot of boneheaded things, things that aren't necessarily right. I may, you may see me hurt somebody or do something stupid. And he said, hopefully not. But he said, I'm just a man. He said, learn from my strengths. And when you see me do something like that, stupid or boneheaded, learn from that too. That's great humility. That's great humility. That, that should be our attitudes as leaders. Amen. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. This, this really needs to be said. There, there is a whole lot of idolism, idolatry, in our American church culture. We gotta come back. It's not about this person. It's not about this, it's not about this movement. And we can, we can learn from them, we can glean from them, etc., etc., etc. But we've gotta stop lifting them up as the example. We've gotta stop idolizing. We preach Jesus. At the end of the day, our goal for you, our aspiration, that you would grow in Christ.
Another weakness of the American church, leadership in the church has been dependent upon people being dependent upon them. You look at the average American pastor, they feel that they're, they're, they're validated because people need them. I don't want you to need me. I'm successful as a leader if day by day, month by month, year by year, you need me less in your life because you're learning to walk with Jesus. Amen? I don't need people to need me to be satisfied in life. Jesus says it, he says, my satisfaction is to do the will of the Father and to complete the work for which he sent me to do. Joy comes in obeying what the Lord tells you to do. Day by day, you hear from heaven, you say what you heard. You look to heaven, you do what you're seeing. That's where satisfaction comes from. That's where fulfillment comes. You know what, I'll be honest with you, I, I look forward to the day when I can retire as being a pastor. I'm not gonna be an 80-year-old man that still needs a job so I feel valid in life. I don't need this job. I don't honestly want it. And I don't want that to sound wrong. It is, it is, it's hard, but it is the greatest joy and greatest satisfaction all at the same time. And I'm content knowing God's called me into it. As long as he wants me here, I'll stay in it. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm attacking some of the many items, that, idols that we've had. You know, here's another idol that I need to speak to. It's got to be one guy in the church doing all the work. That's not going to be me. We're going to build team leadership. We're going to build a plurality of elders. That's biblical. That's the biblical model. I will try to show up to the hospital, to the funeral, to all that as much as I can, but there will be other ministers that do it. Right? See, these are things that we, we really have to deal with because they, I believe this, these, these mentalities have rendered us ineffective in so many respects in the church. I want to say this, Paul's message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was determined to preach it. He was determined to preach Jesus. Look at that great passage. When I was amongst you, I determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's his determination, the determination of his life. It's the message, the only message that brings hope. That God, as we'll read in chapter 2, robed himself in flesh to come and rescue rebellious, sinful, damned man from their sins and from that damnation. He robed himself in flesh, lived amongst us for 33 years, lived a sinless life, and then he went and offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins, the atonement, the propitiation so that we can have peace with God.
so that we could overcome the bonds of sin and live a righteous life. So that we could have a walk with Jesus here on planet Earth. And so that when his kingdom comes, we can be a part of it. That's the good news about Jesus Christ. And that we're saved by faith, by grace, through faith, and that alone. It's not your works that saves you. You're not good enough, and that's good news. Surrender. Surrender to the one who was good enough. His name was Jesus. I, I believe that in American churches, there are plenty of people that think they're all right with Jesus, but they're not. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. It takes a new birth experience to be saved. It's an experience that, that transforms you from being all in with the world to being all in with Jesus. It is an absolute surrender and yielding to the kingship and the Lord. Some people say, I know him as Savior, but I don't know him as Lord yet. Then you don't have it. You can't know him as Savior. That's a misconception, popular American misconception. We know him as Savior and Lord. It's a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a yielding. It's giving up. Because the reality is we're born running away from God. Repentance is turning and running to God. Saying, I'm done doing it my way. I'm done doing it the world's way. I'm going to begin to do it the Jesus way. I want to give an opportunity. If you're sitting here today and you know that you have never had a born-again experience, you have never fully trusted Christ and given your life to him and yielded your life to him, I want to give an opportunity. Church, if we would, let's stand. And if you want to come and pray, I would like to invite you to come down to this altar if you want to accept Christ. It's your Lord, your Savior, your God, your King. This morning, I want you to come down to this altar. Church, if you would, just begin to worship and to pray.